Thank you, uh, Jeff and Chloe, Barry, uh, for blessing us. That's the uh, Jeff told me that's the uh, first time this particular group of folks have sung together as a uh, ensemble, and I uh, hope it's not the last. And uh, that's uh, we. Uh, it reminded me as I was sitting here listening of how fortunate we are and how blessed we are as a congregation to have so many talented people uh, who are willing to share those talents so graciously and uh, to bless us in doing that. So thank you this morning for for sharing that gift with us. Our sermon text comes from John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 18. This is uh, Epiphany Sunday, and Epiphany is the uh, Epiphany Sunday is the day that we celebrate. Uh, if you haven't caught on to that uh, yet, or you don't already know this, uh, it is the day that we celebrate the coming of the uh, what we call the wise men or the three kings or uh, the different names that that they have uh, gone by over the centuries. Uh, it's worth noting, I think, at least uh, if you ever get this question on Jeopardy, uh, that we really don't know how many uh, visitors there were. We've always uh, made the assumption there were three because there were three gifts. And so we, uh, we have always assumed that if there were three gifts, there must have been three visitors. And, uh, and so that is where we come up with the idea of three kings or three wise men, if you will. But Epiphany celebrates the, the coming uh, of uh, God or coming into God's presence. And, uh, and again, it is the way that we mark this continuing experience of God's presence that happens over a, uh, a fairly uh, significant period of time. Uh, there's no real way to determine when the shepherds uh, showed, how quickly the shepherds showed up, and then how long it took uh, for the, the wise men to visit. There are various and different uh, theories on that. Uh, our focus this morning is simply celebrating God's presence and visiting God's presence and being obedient to some of the things that God calls us uh, to be obedient to. And I'm going to try to do that in a way that I hope will be meaningful for you. And I'll begin that by reading from the Gospel of John, uh, familiar verses, particularly during this season of the year, uh, the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has, be, what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came to witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, 
which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. That is God's word for us this morning. This Gospel of John, we believe, was written uh, later than any of the four Gospels. The uh, synoptic Gospels, as we call them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke we believe were, were written well before John wrote his gospel. So John's gospel is of a very different character than the other three. The synoptics, as we call them, the similar gospels, if you will, all share content. They all have stories that uh, appear in all three of the gospels. And there's some stories that are are unique only to those Gospels. For instance, in Luke, the 15th chapter, the prodigal son, story that's familiar to many of us. That's the only place that the story of the prodigal son appears. But when John writes, he writes perhaps with the advantage of knowing or at least having some familiarity with that which has already been written. Gospels, good news about Jesus Christ. So John, when he writes, he doesn't focus uh, on the particulars of the birth narrative, uh, of what happened, of the visit of the three kings and, and the shepherds and so on. What John wants us to know is that when this child was born, the word... The Lagos, God's word, becomes flesh and lives among us. And I think that some of the evidence of that, and perhaps John may have uh, thought this, comes from part of the story in the Gospel of Matthew. For in the Gospel of Matthew, in the focus of the verses this morning, that Jesus came into this world, God's only Son came into this world, the world didn't know him. So when we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the second 
chapter. In the 13th verse, there's evidence immediately of the world not knowing Jesus. In fact, the world being terribly frightened by the fact that Jesus came. Herod has already found out that there's another king by virtue of the visit of the wise men, that the uh, word has become flesh. Herod doesn't understand that as God come to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Herod understands that as I'm king and somebody else is saying another king is born. There is only one king. That's me. And Herod decides to take some drastic action to make sure that continues to be the case. He decides he's going to execute Jesus if he can find this child. And as the story progresses and he realizes that he can't find uh, this one child, he just determines he'll kill all children. And so in the 13th chapter of Matthew... In a dream, it says, Now, after they had left, we're talking about the wise men have now departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child, to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I I have called my son. The word became flesh, John tells us, and dwells among us. The word becomes flesh. The word is the light. Jesus is the light to to the world, the light that shines in the darkness. Yet, When Christ comes, the world doesn't know him or misidentifies him, is threatened by Jesus' coming. Joseph receives this word, and there are five good reasons why Joseph, I mean, there are good reasons why why Joseph could have ignored uh, this message that he received in a dream. Or at least talked his way out of it, of following the instruction. Rationalized it. Made sense of it. First thing that Joseph uh, could have done is said it's too dangerous. I mean, even if Herod is searching for my son, for this child, how likely is it really that he'll find us? Wouldn't we be better off hiding in in areas and traveling in areas that we're familiar with rather than making a dangerous trip to Egypt? Good reason. Good rationalization, if you will. Good example of what we frequently do when we feel like God is calling upon us to do something Maybe to help someone that we know is in need. Or help someone who has just come to us that we may not know. 
And rather than help them, even though we might feel the impulse to do it, we can come up with good reasons not to do that. If I give this person a couple bucks, what good is that really going to do? And they'll probably go out and spend it on alcohol. Or if they get enough people to give them a couple bucks, they'll go out and buy drugs. We rationalize it. Come up with reasons why we shouldn't help. If I do this, I might actually have to take some time to get to know people. You know, sometimes, and I can tell you this, and I confess this from personal experience. Sometimes it's easier to give somebody $2 than it is to talk to them. Sometimes it's easier just to say, here, here's the dollar, and move on and never have conversation. Never find out their name. Never find out what their need is. Never have a prayer with them. I'm in a hurry. I've got things to do. I've got good reasons why, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll do what I think Jesus wants me to do. Here's your dollar. Now please leave me alone. And the Gospels say, Matthew says, it's when those opportunities come to us. Lord, when was it that we saw you? And Jesus says, well, when you saw me, naked or homeless, or in need of you know, somebody to talk to, uh, when you saw me and you did that, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Now, Joseph could have come up with that good reason. It's too dangerous. Another good reason, he didn't have any food, you know, that we know of. I mean, how, how were they to live on this, on this journey? What were they to do? Who was uh, going to provide for them? That's well, fine, Lord, for you to tell me to do this, but, but what are we going to do along the way? Uh, what provisions are we going to have? How are you going to, to uh, meet our needs? It's a good question. And it's a question that, again, many of us ask in different ways. When this word becomes flesh and dwells among us, but we decide that word becoming flesh, God getting that close to us might be a little uncomfortable. And so we're tempted to just push the Lord aside, to not know him on certain things. No provision, no food. How is it, Lord, that I'm to uh, share out of that which you have given me? Will I have enough left over for myself? If I give this much to the church, if I give this much to help somebody in need, if I give this much to a, a ministry that's devoted to helping others, what's left over for me? How am I to make the journey? And Jesus is simply saying, trust me. Whatever provision that needs to be made, trust me that I can help meet that, will meet that need. Well, Joseph could have said, we don't, have the, we don't have the means to make the journey. We're not going. Joseph could have said What's the plan? 
Uh, we believe Joseph was a carpenter. What's the plan? I'm supposed to get a job in Egypt? Lord, didn't you hear that that's the place you, uh, you know, delivered us from the Egyptians? You think I'm supposed to go back to Egypt and work as a carpenter? What's the plan? What kind of questions, again, do, do we ask? It's not a, a bad question. It's a good question. God asks you to do something. God asks you to perhaps consider moving to another place or moving to another job or devoting more of your time in service to the Lord in the job you already have. Well, what's the plan? What's the payoff? What, you know, what, what do I get out of that? And God is simply saying to us, if it's my plan, then I'll make provision. If it's my plan, I'll provide. If it's my plan, the job you have or the job that you may believe that you're being led to take, Know that if you do that and you work that, uh, in that, that job, devoted to me, devoted to living uh, and being a Christian in the place where I have put you, then I'll provide. You'll be a blessing. Jo- uh, Joseph could have objected, saying there's no timetable. Uh, you know, when Herod dies, I mean, how long are we actually going to have to stay there? How long are we going to have to be there? I, I'm willing to go for, I'm willing to go on a mission trip. Because I know the mission trip only lasts this long. And then it's over. Just exactly how long is this supposed to take? And when God calls us to something... They're, the timetable, there's, they're not like, well, you know, I read something not too long ago. You know, when God calls us to do something, uh, or in the church, when we're offering opportunities to do something, every, things need to be short term because people want to know when it's over. They don't want to make a commitment for the rest of their life, they don't want to make the Supreme Court justice commitment. You're appointed, and it's for a lifetime. They want to know, if I start here, when does it end? I want to know what my commitment is. Here's what God says to you. Commitment's open-ended. I'll tell you when it's over. You don't get to make that choice. If you're following me, I'll tell you when your life of service is to be concluded. Guess what? That life of service never ends. God never says, now you can go on break. It's winter break. It's spring break. It's summertime. Now you can take a vacation. Now you can leave. Now it's over. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to make provision for time to renew and refresh ourselves. That's part of living. 
but it does mean that God is the one who has control of the timetable. It's in God's hands. What God is asking is for you to follow, to trust, to walk where Christ leads. The word becomes flesh, dwelt among us. John says, sometimes we just don't recognize that or don't want to. And finally, Jesus uh, or Joseph didn't have a, could have said, well, we have no support group there. There's no family. There are no friends. Uh, how are we supposed to establish ourselves? All five of those questions, they're good questions. They're questions that I suspect some of us, maybe we haven't asked all five. But I bet we have asked uh, some of them before we got ready to make some big decision. It's too too risky. Uh, I don't have the means. I don't have enough in my savings account to do that. had a discussion with one of my sons uh, who said that he wanted to uh, move to New York City and teach in the inner inner city. I said, when's that going to happen? Well, as soon as I save up enough money said, well, I don't know that you'll ever be able to save up enough money to do that. And maybe you're at a point in your life where you can take that step and do something like that. Not enough provision. No plan, no timetable, no support group. All reasons, good reasons that we have probably asked ourselves or or used ourselves to talk ourselves out of something that perhaps uh, it might have been worthwhile to pursue. It may have been something uh, that God was asking us to do. Well, the one good reason that that Joseph, uh, that persuaded Joseph to do what God asked him to do was the mere fact that God asked him uh, asked him to follow God's, uh, God's guidance. So Joseph was convicted that the word that had come to him was God's word. And Joseph was convicted that in spite of all the questions that he may have had, good questions, in spite of all those questions, that he was going to take that one step, he and Mary were going to take that one step toward Egypt and do what God was asking him to do. And trust that God would reveal the next step and the next step and the next step. The one good reason, the one reason that Joseph did what God asked him to do was because he was convicted that God would show him every step that he needed to take and God would show him when he needed to know what the step was. And so Joseph and Mary left with Jesus and went to Egypt. And John, in his gospel again, says to us, In this uh, great event that we call Christ coming, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus, the Word,
becomes flesh. John says, no one's ever seen God. God's only son has revealed God to us. And when we come to that conviction in our own life, when we come to that moment where we recognize that the one step that God is asking us to take, that whatever the good reasons are that we formulate it for not taking it, the one thing that God asks us to do is the very thing that we need to do. There are too many times and too many places in this world where we, have, uh, we come to those and the world did not know him moments. And oftentimes that's because we've talked ourselves out of it. During this season, in every season of life, Jesus is inviting us. God the Son is inviting us. Come know me. Come follow. Come trust. Step out in faith. And see and rejoice in what I can do and what I will do in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the grace and mercy we know through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your presence, the blessing of your coming, the promise that you'll always be with us. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment is number 176. I invite you to stand as you are able as we sing together. Sing of God made manifest. <laughs>